Welcome to the 3v3 Podcast, your socially distanced hockey chat show. Here are your hosts, Cassie, Pat, and Patrick. Well, we're playing a person down again this week as um, something's happened in the tech space that requires Patrick's attention. Those are all the details we were given. Speculate as much as you see fit. Yes. There hasn't been anything to talk about in the world of hockey in the last 48 hours, has there? Mm -hmm. Sure. Anywho, let's try and have a little fun in the meantime. Last week, I left it off where I said, pick a hockey player from any era, excuse me, in any level and create an NHL All-Star Weekend event around them. Okay, I'm played it, I played it straight this time. I wasn't going to get all fancy and fun and things, although you could, I guess, with this. Um, so most of the All-Star, not weekend, our game, but the uh, skills competition stuff is usually all about, you know, Shooting, <laughs> shooting and skating and, and forward type things. So, uh, so having been a former defender, I wanted to make a defender only drill because there isn't any. And so uh, we're going to go Scott Niedermeyer as my player. And it's the first pass out of the zone drill. Because that's all, like, general managers think that defenders do. So, <laughs> coaches, that's all they think they do. So, uh, so what I propose is um, you have targets or baskets or something, goal, mini goals, whatever, something that will track a puck going into it. Uh, at the ends of the opposite blue line and the middle of the blue line on the opposite side, the defender in you know below the hash marks in the defensive zone being fed pucks and uh, they have to see how many of these quote unquote targets that they can hit in a minute. Hmm. So from any place as long as it's below the hash marks in the defensive end. Um I was debating on whether or not to penalize, you know, icings. That is things that didn't bounce off of something else and just went all the way across to the end goal line. But then I thought, if you're trying to get things off in a minute, that's not very fair. So, <laughs> so there you go. That's that's my uh, that's my skills competition thing. That seems that seems like a good repurposing of the mini nets passing event from years past. Mm-hmm. It's like taking the same concept but making it. Um, what's the word? Oh, good. <laughs> you know, you you've addressed like the time constraint where if someone's not doing so well, this could go on for a while. That seems. That issue is kind of out, uh, off the table now. Mm-hmm. 
which is good and it's a little more dynamic which i like yeah i mean it's it's the yeah so many people for all i mean and they would do this with goalies if they could and sometimes they do um every skater on the ice defender forward whatever it's all about how many goals they score but in reality um, NHL coaches and NHL GMs are looking for defenders who can make that first pass out of the zone. And then after that, they kind of really don't care what defenders do. Um, mm-hmm. And so, or don't know what defenders are supposed to do, I think might be more accurate. Uh, and so, you know, it's it's all right. Well, if you think this is important, then let's make a drill. <laughs> let's go ahead and and add that to the skills competition because you know that's what you think defenders do so there you go and it's safer than blocking shots so we'll get back to blocking shots in a few minutes but because i have an idea there Uh-oh. um my the first drill that came to mind and I have to mention that I recently found out that I have a coworker who had never heard of Wayne Gretzky before. Mm-hmm. And that made me extremely happy. <laughs> and I'm sorry, Patrick, as you're listening to this in post. Um, not, not a sportsman, not a hockey person. She had never heard of Gretzky. I was like, see, you can't just rely on him. And he being the one token name everyone's heard of. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I want to take him, take the concept of the Gretzky's office and kind of turn the accuracy shooting event as it exists now kind of on its head. Okay. What if we had a player start from behind the net and he has four to five, well, four other teammates because most times you're only going to have five skaters at certain positions, you know, low slot inside the, the home plate area, maybe one person at the point, but you have predetermined locations and a player has to start with the puck behind the net, move either to the left or the right and make a pass. Then one of the players who accepts the pass has to hit one of the four targets. So instead of making an indiv- the accuracy shooting like an individual competition, add a little more game element to it than just a simple pass from the goal line. Mm-hmm. We have a player moving before they can make a decent pass. And see, can you get all four players to hit all four targets? So a bucket of pucks behind the net. They're having to come out move to the left or the right. So in theory, they're away from the shooting angles so they won't get hit and just make it more of a team event, get more players participating. So, you know, you don't have random people like, I don't know, Timo Meyer doing the hardest shot competition, (laughs) get him involved in something he's more qualified for. Mm Mm-hmm. So I thought that could be an interesting wrinkle. But what I've really wanted to do is um, this weekend sucks for goalies. Yes. It sucks for goalies. So what you could do to have a little more fun with very little setup is create a game of dodgeball involving goalie sticks. 
skaters or your <clears throat> shot blockers or your targets. And you just have two sides trying to hit each other with, you know, foam or very light rubber balls on the ice. Goalies are the only players that can throw or shoot. And you kind of have a wall of defenders kind of blocking shots and, and you know, creating angles for, for goalies to shoot at. Because, honestly, I want to see Marty Turco um, show off his stick skills. <laughs> no, no, notice the Marty I chose. Mm-hmm. You could even bring back, um, yeah, I guess, Mike Smith's an active player, so maybe he could do that. But just the guys penalized by the trapezoid, let them have a little fun. And then, you know, maybe bring a shot blocker or two. See, my other thought was, was um, let's just skip the all-star game. And instead, let's just have a dodgeball tournament. <laughs> See, that could be fun. It's like, let's just skip the hockey part. We'll just go, just go straight to dodgeball. You know, let's, yeah. let's, let's go with, like, summer camp stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Now, thankfully, we're recording Sunday, February 6th, one day after. This is a bit peculiar, but one day after the actual NHL All-Star tournament. It wasn't a singular game. Yeah. I just want to have a, like an Olympic-style weekend. Let's just do a bunch of mini competitions mm-hmm. scattered throughout the day. Um, But unfortunately, the powers that be that the NHL only know how to produce singular live events. And so they're they're still struggling on putting a um, unique and interesting package, whole package together. I mean, you know, part of the problem with the All-Star game, and this will always be part of the problem, is that it's not... For the fans, it's the opportunity no. for the NHL to show their product to their backers. Yep. And is, there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. But right. stop saying it's for kids. Right. It's, not. it's for I mean, the players' kids, maybe. But that's about it. Right. I mean, it's it's not a bad thing. And it's a apparently necessary thing but at the same time let's not pretend that that this is for the players or for the fans or for the kids it's like no 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 this is all for the nhl and this is all for them raising capital with their backers and that's fine let's just like let's let's just not pretend it's anything other than what it is So, yeah, um, and so because of that, they will always want some kind of a in-game thing, right? Whether it's a, a mini tournament that they did or the actual, like, game thing that they used to do or whatever. There's always going to be, we need to want, see hockey players play hockey for a decent amount of time. We always need to have... The star players, the big name players be there or as many of them as they can get. Um, <laughs> but, you know, so it's 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 a it's a schmooze event. It's a schmoo. It's yeah. a it's a corporate schmooze event. And, you know, just call it what it is. 
And I, you know, I was lucky enough to attend some of the um, quote unquote schmooze back in 2011. Mm-hmm. And when you go to some of the quote unquote after parties that are set up for the sponsors, for VIPs, and players have to briefly attend. You're not surprised at how hungover they look the next day. Mm-hmm. You're really not. Although I, Patrick and I probably disagree on this based on last night. Yes, some players were hungover. They just looked bored. Which is, and, I mean. And, and less um, still inebriated than <laughs> usual. A little carryover from the night before. Um, you know, it's. It's not fun for them. I mean, the skills competition part is fun because it can be goofy and 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 rib each other and and enjoy that. But like the actual playing part is not fun. (laughs) And they're just trying to like not get injured at this point. Which, you know, I will say there were three quote unquote games played yesterday. One was an absolute slog. It looked like a five-on-five game of of years past. Mm -hmm. One game was, it was fine. And then one game that was kind of, oh, this, I can tell you're not really trying hard, but this is fun. This seems a little fun. It's a nice little, okay, that was a fun 20 minutes. And Mm -hmm. we can move on with our day. Unfortunately, the fun 20 minutes was in the middle. And... uh, Yeah, and it did involve, you know, several of the league's top-scoring players who were actually in attendance, and, you know, it was a great one-off for current fans of the game. Like, you could get something out of this as a televised event. Um, It's not dreadfully interesting in person, the game itself. Mm-mm. And I've been thinking a lot about, you said it perfectly, it's not fun for the players. And I think one of the biggest reasons why, outside of the political and labor issues that they deal with, is this whole weekend is choreographed. Yeah, some people like it that way, though. So, I mean, you can't... That, that's Well, the powers that be like it that way, but I think it really har- it, it puts out a subpar product, especially on television, mm-hmm. which ultimately no one cares about, but I wonder how much better it could come off if it weren't so choreographed. And, and I was listening to an actor give an interview and he recently started directing things and he, he, he was kind of a character actor has a pretty prominent role in a movie franchise. And he said, Oh no, I just let the actors do the work. Otherwise I'm choreographing them. And that sounds like the most miserable thing ever to do to a a person. Mm -hmm. Just let them kind of do what they do best and just, just push them in certain directions. So after watching, you know, a couple hours worth of coverage this weekend, and my God is the whole directing versus choreographing um, conversation, just a parallel to NHL coaching in general. Micromanaging. Exactly. But bringing it to this weekend, it makes you wonder, 
if they just had someone directing some of, let's say, the two outdoor events, you know, in the Bellagio Fountain and on the, you know, Las Vegas Boulevard, if those were just directed and then actually better produced and packaged afterwards, how much more enjoyable would some of that coverage have been to just someone turning on their TV randomly? Yeah. I wonder. Yeah. Because some of the best content that we get from the NHL is not from necessarily from any of the networks or the television provider. No, it's mostly from social media teams that get mm-hmm. stuff and tightly package well-edited content. You can show a replay of a highlight or something, you know, Trevor Zegers does over and over again. But it's got to be packaged well to come off exciting. And that was severely lacking. Yeah, it makes me wonder if if the NHL has bought into the uh, government thinking of lowest bidder. <laughs> you know? Well, yeah, and, and the lowest bidder, bidder is often themselves. Like, I honestly think they had some really great ideas. They did some cool things. And it might have made for a good, oh, I don't know, um, minor league production based on budget and, and, you know, time limitations. But given the amount of money they probably dumped into some of these efforts, the pay, there was no payoff for them. There couldn't have been. I mean, we've we've mentioned it before, both you and I, is that um, the NHL is uh, not great at being creative, you know? And then on top of that, they're also not great at um, managing their bottom line very well. So you add those two things together, and uh, that totally makes sense. Yeah. They will end up profiting long-term because they made their backers, their sponsors happy because half of them got to go to Vegas and write off a bunch of the the weekend as some, you know, tax credits or, you know, expenses. But they, they wrote a check or something. It was kind of, it was fine. Hockey, hockey fans, you know, they got something out of it, but it wasn't much, but it made me wonder if, They just had someone else in their ear instead of having um, the Canadian host of the Canadian Family Feud try to um, present live play-by-play for these little outdoor gimmicks. And instead, oh, I don't know, treated it like a reality game show where you do voiceover work after the fact. You, you have the quote-unquote hosts. They're there on site. They're watching everything. They can kind of you know, playing a bit of writing. And then in the 12 hours before some of the footage was released, you can get into a sound booth and just record over the fact, like actually produce something instead of treating it like it was a live event that was not done live. I think it's stuck. They're stuck in that like play by play hockey 
that's just what you're supposed to do mentality rather than actually yes. thinking it through and thinking, no, we don't need someone doing this live. We can just, you know, we can just have someone directing them from, from you know, where they're at and then do a voiceover later. That would totally be fine. But, you know, this is, uh, like I said, <laughs> this is the NHL, right? <laughs> yeah, like we can say they have slowly gotten better at running a live outdoor game. They put in reps. They don't always nail it. It's not always a 10 out of 10, but by and large, they can produce a good event that is mostly good for people in attendance. It's still a crummy television product because, like you said, they can't get out of their own way in treating it like a the only thing that they know how to do. I would question whether some of those outdoor events are actually good for the people in the stands. I've, I mean, I've been to one. I haven't been to a number of them, but I have been to one, and that was um, the one in Santa Clara, Levi Stadium, um, Sharks and LA Kings. And uh, yeah, no, that wasn't. I wouldn't call wouldn't have called that a good viewing experience. No, well, the because the terrible thing is the game is the worst part of it. It's supposed <laughs> to be an event and an experience, and they treat it just like a game, and it's really not what it is. And they do the same thing with day two of All Star Weekend. They treat it like a game instead of an event, and. Well, they're thinking of it from the player perspective and not from the fan perspective. And that was very clear at this outdoor game that I went to because um, if they were looking at it from the fan perspective, I have no idea why the LA Kings, the bottom half of their uniform was white and they were playing on a white sheet of ice and people sitting in the upper decks um, had a hard time reading that stuff, you know? So they're not... Mm -hmm. And that's pretty clear also with, like, the jerseys typically for outdoor games. You can tell when the jersey design is meant to uh, be seen from a camera versus be seen from the stands, right? And mm -hmm. and so, yeah, the NHL is really not great at doing one-off stuff. Um. Because I think they don't they don't call in experts and find out what they should be doing. They just try to wing it. And of course, you know, hockey and its pen shop for um, doing the minimum, you know, minimum effort. Right. So. So, yeah, over time, sure, they get better, but it takes a while and you know, a few repetitions before they get better. So, <laughs> I mean, by now you would think hopefully, yeah, you know, the outdoor games were are, are fairly decent, but even still, you still run into like issues with, with jersey design, uniform design. Um, what was it? There was a game last year, I think, where part of the uniform for the, um, for one of the teams was still white. And another example, of course, right now is the, and you know, I've seen it on Twitter, people complaining about it are Team Canada's hockey jerseys, their black uniforms, the numbers are, mm -hmm. are unreadable. Um, 
And so, yeah, it's it. The hilarious thing to me, you know, I'm I'm a cartographer. I'm a geographer. I've made maps for a living is that, you know, you're supposed to know who your audience is. So when you're making a map, you need to know what people are looking to see so that they can figure out what you're displaying in like five seconds. And mm -hmm. if they haven't figured it out in five seconds, then you failed at what you were trying to do. So, you know, it's just the Jersey thing is just the litmus test, really, as to what people are thinking about when they're doing Jersey design. <laughs> Who is your audience? Well, Team Canada's audience clearly wasn't um, viewers on TV. <laughs> no, it was going back to your point earlier. It was to their players. Right. We saw this in well, college. Well, Jersey sales is actually what it was. They wanted oh. a cool looking black jerseys for Jersey sales. Yeah. And I'm sure some of the players love the look of it. Cause, and there are some people that think it looks cool. Right. But does it work for viewing a game? Absolutely not. Nope. And that, yeah. So, so it goes, that's the same thing with the outdoor games, right? Mm -hmm. It's like some of them are, some jerseys are, are made for people buying jerseys, right? And some are made for TV, and some are made for people in the stands, <laughs> but um, they can't find the balance between all of that. Where everything needs to be, and it's not a hard balance to strike. It's yeah, there is no sweet spot for that because no one has ever thought about there being a sweet spot for that, <laughs> and it's pretty right. obvious because <laughs> they're all like, "Well, we have this, oh, and we have this." It's yeah, it's just yeah. So let me run this idea by you that I've had for ages. There's in the NHL video game series, they have these two versions of the games called ones and threes. Ones is where you have three individuals competing on their own, trying to score the most goals in a certain amount of time. And threes is a three on three game, but on a compressed playing surface. Mm hmm. You know, probably approximately the size of an NBA basketball court. Mm -hmm. What if for this event they actually built a, a quote-unquote stage, a compressed rink that they can bring to whatever building they're working in? Build a smaller playing surface for the game itself, so... Guys don't have to skate as far. They're not burning themselves out. But then they're creating a stage where they can actually put on a game and maybe if they do any indoor or in-arena all-star competition events, there are guys just in the way on the boards and on the benches and it doesn't look like a cluster half the time. And then they can still have some space on the side for you know players and their families to sprawl out, watch events from on the glass and then also sell some speed or give some, you know, cushy seats away to sponsors. And it feels like it would be kind of a happy balance of things, but I don't know. Too complicated for the NHL. Too much thinking going on there. <laughs> yeah. They, they can finally admit that they won't do an outdoor game in Florida because humidity is the enemy. Right. 
Although they could do one in Seattle, which humidity is still the enemy, but you have a roof. So. <laughs> well, not only do you have the roof, you can you can work against the conditions. You can get it as long as you're not using the surface during the daytime. You can make it work. Because sun plus humidity. Yikes. Yeah, they would want to put it in the in the football stadium instead of the Absolutely. baseball stadium. And it's like, no, 100%. it would be, you'd be better off in the baseball stadium. Because <laughs> the football stadium doesn't have a retractable roof. And, you know, it rains there. So if you want to maintain the ice, you're going to need a roof. Every, yeah, everything is working against you. But so I'm I sure feel like they could just decrease the size of the playing surface and do some things differently. They could do they <laughs> so bad. But they could do they could cut the rink in half and do half rink. Two games, same time. Three on three. Oh, they could. Or they could here is a wild idea. They could have one event set up on one half of the ice and with the magic of lighting, they could illuminate the other half of the ice where you have another active event. So we don't have these long, drawn-out dead periods yeah. between events. I mean, they make more than their fair share of advertising dollars, from, or at least the uh, television providers do, and it works for them, but... They could do so many little things to kind of improve the quality of stuff. And I, I will give them credit. I was happy for their quote-unquote breakaway challenge, which was, it was fine. But they didn't have the NHL goalie sit in, sit in there and, you know, take shots that you don't know what the heck was going to go on. Mm -hmm. And get some different people involved. Like, okay, having Wyatt Russell, that's kind of fun. Um I'd rather have seen Mayon Rayon play in a game instead of a skills event, but yeah, they we'll didn't. Well, but <laughs> so from what I gathered with Men Off Rome is um, she hadn't put on goalie gear for a long time. So <laughs> no, because she's like any actual retired goalie. Once you're done, you're done. Yeah, and so, and she's my age, actually. Uh, and I'm going to admit my age. She'll be 50 this month. And, you know, you're having a 50-year-old ex-goaltender putting on gear for the first time in a, in a long time. Yeah, you're not, you're probably not going to put, put that person in a game situation, even if it was a guy. But, you know, for it to be a woman on top of that, I'm sure that they're like, yeah, we don't need her pulling a groin <laughs> in the middle of a game and going down and making this a bigger like thing than it needs to be. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, I, I I was very happy to see that she was participating. But then once I realized mm -hmm. she hadn't put on the gear in a while, I was like, yeah, this this is um, hmm. I mean, I'm glad that she's being involved in hockey things again, but um, yeah, yeah, maybe not on the ice. <laughs> I mean, good for her that she was game for it, but you know, it was just like, hmm. Exactly, right. exactly. Like, and one, 
my hope coming out of that is she gets nominated voters. for the Hockey Hall of Fame. <laughs> Hall of Fame voters next time around remember her because they aren't necessarily watching Red Wings local broadcasts or I don't think she is doing any RDS stuff anymore. I think she's, you know, full time in Michigan. She's been full time in Michigan. She's been living in Michigan, mm. I think, for a long time now. But yeah. But but she would be like one of those players who they're they would fly out once a week, go yeah. get their TV, and then go home. Right. Um, so hopefully, you know, she's on the forefront of people's minds because she made herself available. Right. So all in all, it was whatever. I mean, it usually is. Probably, like, yeah. It'll probably be a super spreader event, but, you know, they knew that. They don't care. And... Well, we don't have to it's go for down their backers. That road. <laughs> yeah. they, they don't care. They don't, they only want like enough big names to participate and have a coherent, not any problem sort of event. And, you know, to schmooze and wine and dine and, and all of that to make sure that they get their, their money. And um, that's it. That's all they care about. So mission accomplished, I guess. There were no real takeaways from from any of the events. No, I mean there usually isn't. I, I uh, one of my coworkers texted me yesterday during the All Star game. He's like, "These guys look like they don't want to play," and I'm like, "It sounds like a normal All Star game to me." It does, and it. <laughs> I wonder if they weren't so choreographed all year. You know, you have all these factors of having a place that visiting players tend to like to go to. Mm-hmm. They actually, it seemed, we, we couldn't see it from any of the broadcasts, but it seemed like, oh, they were doing some crossover stuff with the NFL, and maybe they have some access to different events or parties or what have you that they wouldn't normally have on an All-Star weekend. Yeah, because it was the so, NFL's All-Star weekend also. Mm-hmm. And, and, they just- and they... And it's one of the reasons why the game itself wasn't on the Sunday, because it sounds like they 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 talked with someone and, and did some coordinating. Which <laughs> shocking! <laughs> I know that it's my reaction as well. <laughs> but there seems to have been some cool stuff with with that. Like, oh, you get NFL players involved, e- even though it looked corny and forced and. The NFL players looked like they had more fun than the guys on the ice. Well, yeah, because it's not their sport. <laughs> yeah. Except for Jack Hughes, who ha- who seemed to have a smile the entire weekend. And that's probably because he's only 20. Yeah. He has yeah. time to have that beaten out of him. No. Nope, he still enjoys life. Life hasn't beaten that out of him yet. Poor kid. <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, he does live in New Jersey, so. Yeah. 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 And then Gary Bettman's uh, State of the NHL address, his annual, that he always does at the All-Star game, or All-Star weekend, sorry. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. We don't have to go down that road because... Everyone else already said it. Mm-hmm. 
Yep. Yep, yep. It's going to take the initiative of some who are currently not in power and just take that to do something different with some different people. I mean, you know, Gary Bettman doesn't get enough credit. And I'll pause for all of the... uh... What? (laughs) But he doesn't get enough credit because the entire point of his job is to deflect attention from owners, right? Yes, he is a model employee. So he, he, the whole point is to get fans and, you know, media angry at him. So the owners don't get that and the owners don't lose money because of that. And so, um, so Batman, you know, does what the owners tell him to and, he does it very well. That that is his job. That that is the entire point of his existence, and and he's embraced that. He's like, you know what? I want people to hate me. Everybody needs to hate me, and and he's good with that. So, despite some of the questionable things that came out of his mouth, which were probably at the insistence of the owners rather than his own opinion. Um, you know, he he actually does a really damn good job at what he's supposed to be doing. Yeah, I mean, he he's a he's a, a volunteer firefighter and, you know, executive in a suit. He's a moving target. It's that it takes a lot of unique skill sets that not many people are equipped for. And it's very different from a commissioner position in other leagues. Mhm. Where they are, they are trying to get agreement amongst a body of people and push things in a certain direction, usually to grow revenue like any business would. And we can, we will not debate the merits and downfall of capitalism here because. You can find other podcasts for that. Yeah, they're much more equipped, but. This is the environment these leagues are working in, and the commissioner can actually influence change because he can set directions and sell it to people. What Gary Bettman has to do is take the empowering influence of a few, manage it, and then just make some other you know bodies happy and make them a little money along the way. And he has, by and large, done that. Mm-hmm. And so when everyone is flabbergasted over the latest, you know, there's been some more details about how the coyotes would function and what they need to pay for for their quote-unquote temporary solution playing in Arizona State University's new multi-purpose arena that's kind of come out in the last 24 hours and you hear more comments, well, what other commissioner has to deal with this craziness? And actually, like, squeeze some juice out of this situation. But that's what he has to tackle. Most people would sell sell off before, you know, your losses get too low. Not him. Because he's got to make his US TV rights holders happy. 
Right. And that is the primary reason why the Arizona market is always going to be in play. This isn't Atlanta. <laughs> Atlanta market was always a unique beast with, with television numbers and, you know, ticket sales and what have you. Because this is a unique place. NHL doesn't know how to operate with uniqueness. They do not. You have to follow a script and you have to move these four steps because I say so because I won some community award for local theater once upon a time as a choreographer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, everything, that's that's what hockey is all about, right? Sameness. Everybody's got to mm-hmm. be the same. And it's not just players, it's everything. Everything has to be the same. And so, you know, at this point, part of the reason, too, that the Arizona, they don't want to move Phoenix is because, or Phoenix, Arizona, um, they don't want to move Arizona because it's a known quantity, right? They know what they're getting into. They know what the situation is. It's much easier to deal with than relocating the team and trying to figure it all out from the start. And a singular entity, I won't even say it's a single individual, but a single entity wants to own a team there, not for the hockey property necessarily. Oh, there, there's some fringe benefits. It's because owning this property allows me to do what I really want to do, and that's gambling. Right. I can create gambling entities because I own a sports property and will operate a sports arena. I mean, and because I can do it here, I can do it with some of my other hotel and gambling businesses elsewhere. I mean, you know, most most sport professional sports teams don't make money unless it's the NFL. And it's really the league that makes money in a certain amount of teams rather than every team. But that's mm-hmm. the same with like any league. It's like the NBA. It's a certain number of teams make money. And NHL is no different. Major League Baseball is no different. But um, the groups, the individuals who own professional sports teams are doing it because it's a feather in their cap. It's it's a vanity um, thing that they have. You know, it's like, oh, look at me. I have a sports team, you know. It's a tax write-off that allows them to hold on to some of their money from other properties. I mean, yeah. the laundry list of reasons goes out the window. Right. It's ridiculous. Yeah, they're not, but they're not in it to make money off of the team. No. Because the team itself, by and large, many of them, most of them, whatever sport, there's a few that make money, but most don't. You know, they're not looking for profit from owning the team specifically. They're doing it for other reasons. Exactly. And when you do things for other reasons, and then you have the disparity between the top of the mountain and the, you know, the peasant owners, and you're drunk. When your top earners are also driving up the expenses for everyone else, mm-hmm. that's the biggest issue the NHL has run into. 
when Toronto handed Mike Babcock that obscene coaching deal, well, yeah, why wouldn't Toronto do it? They, they, they just print money. Not realizing, oh, that has an effect on every other team. And then when they have to complain because of revenue sharing, well. Oh, come on. This is Toronto. They don't care about any other team but themselves. Actually, all of them. None of them care about any other team but themselves. Yeah. And you know what? That's fine. But they sure as heck like to complain about every other team. Oh, yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you know, big Big party drives off the expenses. So all this is to say is Gary Bettman is in the most unique job, I think, in the in North America and probably a billion dollar industries maybe in the world. And no offense, I wouldn't want that job and I don't envy the next person that has it. Until certain ownership parties um, lose certain executive privileges, let's put it to, let's put it that way. Yeah, there's, when there's a different to... when there's a different eight suits making the call. There's always Am... going to be someone, though. You know, that's just the way life works. People don't become billionaires or part of giant venture capital funds that are starting to own teams now. They don't get that way because they just make great decisions and are, you know, savvy. No, they're by and large probably terrible people. Mm-hmm. But they're just smart about certain choices that they make and they have certain philosophies that by and large, do work. In a very, very in, specific environment. In a very specific environment. And sometimes it's 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 almost healthy. Sometimes. But again, in a very well, specific environment. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and the and the the cases of individuals who have come in, tried to implement all their business philosophies in, in a different entity. In an entertainment product that no one treats like an entertainment product to bring the conversation full circle. And they fail and they wonder, oh, it's it's just because this isn't this sport, this league is an albatross. No, it's just you gotta change things up. Yeah, or you do have to do things in a different way. Yes. They make me tired. <laughs> They make me apathetic these days, and that's that's worse. Yeah, yeah. I, I I'm trying to decide currently how much of that is ch- I can chalk up to burnout versus actually being apathetic and tired. Uh, <laughs> it's all blur right now. It's all kind of together. Yeah, um, but when they continue to make choices that push your emotions or your interests in one direction or the other, it doesn't matter what the source of it is. It's a contributing factor to however fans are feeling today, period. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's ultimately, good. That's ultimately the problem, right? Is it? If you are working towards the goal of everything going back to quote unquote normal, 
then you're just going to keep doing what you're doing and fans are still going to be not happy. But if you go in thinking, well, this is the new normal, let's readjust our marketing, then you're going to have a better time of it, I think. Um, and that's just corporations across the board, but in particular the NHL, because right now they're not great at much of anything at the moment in terms of messaging and news and how they present themselves. So, yeah. yeah they're they're great at pleasing people that give them large checks. Mm-hmm. They're really terrible at the people that give them small checks. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, until we see the pendulum swing where television contracts, in arena sponsoring, all that eclipses the gate revenue, mm-hmm. we're just in this mushy middle. Yeah, which I... We, Go ahead, sorry. Finish your thought. It's it's the Minnesota Wild of the, the 2010s. <laughs> And who wants to be in that position? Oh, God. Because then it takes drastic and hard decisions like spending a bunch of money to make something go away because it's just not working anymore. Mm-hmm. No one really wins in this situation, but you just have to do it if you want to move the needle in either direction. So are we ready for a question? Because I have a question. Yes. Okay. I'll have to send this one to Patrick. So this question has has qualifiers at the end of it. Just putting that out there so you don't cut me off after the question. Okay, Uh, extra work. Got it. So it came out during um, Bettman's State of the NHL address, his annual State of the NHL address that he does every year at the All-Star Game. That, and I don't know if he said it or not, uh, but it came out during that time that certain Canadian-based NHL teams were asking Bettman if he if they could move temporarily to the U.S. because of less stringent COVID restrictions. So you can choose how many teams you want to do this with. Um, What cities should those Canadian-based teams end up in in the U.S. if they are allowed to come over? Now, your qualifiers are the arena they play in must have a minimum 5,000-seat capacity, so like Arizona. It must be roughly within the same geographic area as their existing division. It must have an airport that can handle commercial flights. It doesn't matter if another pro hockey team already plays there, but it cannot be in the same city as an existing NHL team. And it does not have to be close to the Canadian border to draw from their existing fan base. Sorry, Buffalo. This has been the 3B3 Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at 3B3 Podcast. We're available for NHL consulting at reasonable fees.